I will talk to you of art. Yes. For there is nothing else. Are you all ready to join me today in our trip to outer space? Come along quietly or not. Well, you can have all the talent in the world and never get anywhere. Some artists will bait a hook and let you bite upon it. And now, without further ado... Hello folks, this is Albert Shivers, and this is the next episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. On this episode, we got Don Wilson, and if you could hear outside, uh, we are being invaded. Um, on this episode is Don Wilson, um, recorded by myself and Isaac. It's good to have Isaac back on an episode, and also later on in the episode... We are all joined by Don's partner, Mary. And we have a very... The conversation gets very engrossing, very interesting. Um, In this particular conversation, Don talks about his time as an art teacher. And Alex Gray and a workshop that he and Mary took with him. And um, we sort of just kind of riff around... uh, very interesting way to spend your time if you're interested in the episode. I'm not forcing you. But before we get to the episode, there's a couple announcements I want to make. If you listened last week, I did some shout-outs to some local businesses. Hold on a sec. Yeah, that didn't help. I did some shout-outs to some local businesses. First being the Main Street Jukebox in Strasbourg. Tom and the Jukebox crew are still selling records online. They've been forced to close, but they're still doing business online. You could check out what records he is offering up for sale on the Main Street Jukebox Facebook page or at the Main Street Jukebox Instagram page. Very easy to find. Um, on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Main Street Jukebox. And that's streets with S-T, not the word spelt out. You could also go on Instagram, same spelling, at Main Street Jukebox. Um, he's posting what he has up for sale. He takes all forms of digital payment, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and um, yeah, he posts several new records every day you can get your vinyl fix and hook up a local business or an independent business um whenever you want you don't have to be in Strasbourg to order from him you could be in oshkosh transylvania you could be in wuhan even i'd you know be careful but you could be there and order from him doesn't matter also um in branchwood branchwood um, yeah, Branchville, not Branchwood. Branchwood makes sense, but Branchville, New Jersey. Um, Broad Street Books. They're a fantastic bookstore with a big selection, and they too are doing online sales. You could find them on Facebook at facebook.com slash NJ for New Jersey. Or you can go on Instagram and find them at Broad Street Books, New Jersey. But spell NJ. I shouldn't have said that. At Broad Street Books, NJ. Um, again, 
you can check out their books and um, do some online ordering. It's the perfect time to sit and read. If you're out of reading material, screw the Kindle. Support a bookstore. Come on. Don't, don't, you know, come on. Do the right thing. Everyone will thank you for supporting a local bookstore. Except for really the trees. But, you know, economy, trees, you know, depends on who you ask. Thirdly, um, then my third little shout out here is to my buddy Mike, who is, as we speak, creating and uploading onto eBay many, many fun new vintage style Jiggler toys. If you go on eBay, type in Jiggler toys, a lot of different ones will come up. They're all pretty cool, but Mike's are the coolest. Um, of his work, you can find... The It Conquered the World Cucumber Creature, a monster from a fun 1950s movie. If you ever heard the Frank Zappa song Cheapness, it is about this monster. You could find him on eBay. Starting bid, $13.50. Come on, that's that's pretty good. Um, there are six days left on that. And what else? Um, two of the Funny Face Fruits, Ollie Orange and Loudmouth Lime, starting bid 10 bucks. Come on. It's a fun toy for any adult collectors. You could help to decorate your mother's basement with them. It's great. Or for your kids, they could play with them. It's, it's totally safe for a kid to play with. Um, the other, there, he also has a set, a jiggler lot. A lot of jigglers. Just jiggling everywhere, just like Natasha in middle school. And look, I know what I'm referencing, but I'm not going to tell you. You want to know what I'm referencing? Ask me in person. Prove to me you listen to this show. All right. Anyway, um, in this set, you have Ernest Borgnine's character from The Devil's Reign. And um, another little accessory from The Devil's Reign movie. You have an ugly creature. Rubber Monster, and a cute little green olive. And let me tell you something, it's so cute, it makes me want to puke. Now, before we get to the episode, um, first of all, it is great to have Isaac back in an episode. It's been a couple of weeks since he's been on the air, so it's good to have him back. And, for the first time through the Planets Shivers series, um, Isaac is the editor of this episode. He... Um, did me the huge colossal favor of editing this episode together for me while I worked on other episodes. Um, it was a time when I was really backed up with episodes to edit and work on. So know that Isaac is the editor. Isaac Wilson is the editor of this podcast. And um, it's also Passover time. It is upon us as I am recording this. So um, in order to get some some ad revenue here, um, I want you to consider Perlman's Pickle Juice. Are you tired of vaguely phallic-shaped pickles obstructing you from your pickle juice? Well, try Perlman's Pickle Juice. It accounts for 50% of your daily vitamins. Which, that's true, I read it on an old napkin at a Mart's bus terminal. Perlman's Pickle Juice, nature's way of saying thank you. And um, also, Morty's Matzah Emporium. Are your gums not bleeding? Do we have a solution for you? Come to Morty's Matzah Emporium, where you can find two varieties of delicious unrisen bread. 
eat it with butter, jelly, or just punish the birds in your neighborhood. Morty's Matzah Emporium. Matzah for days. All right. And with that, you're sick of hearing me. So I'm going to hand the episode over to me of the past, along with Don Wilson, Mary, and Isaac Wilson, as this will be part three of the Planet Shivers Conversations with artist, teacher, and true Renaissance man and great guy, Don Wilson. Okay, folks, we're back here for our next installment with visual artist Don Wilson. And um, let's pick up from right where we left off, Don, wherever you'd like to start. Uh, Yeah, I think I didn't say much about uh, my teaching experience, Mm -hmm. and that was a big part of my life. Um, I mentioned, I believe, coming back from California with my family, uh, we moved to Massachusetts for several several years, and I was teaching there. And then I had a job offer to teach in central New Jersey in 1974, so we moved back to New Jersey. And the next 26 years, I was tethered, as it were, to this particular school. It was a, high, a junior, senior high school, and uh, it was, I think... Uh, without a doubt, the most important thing that I think I did in terms of jobs that I've had. Uh, I did have a job in the summer when I was going to college building houses. So I built maybe 30 or 40 houses. And I remember thinking that they weren't really houses as such, they were sculptures that we were Mm -hmm. building. So uh, we were a framing crew. And uh, so we would frame the house and then move on to the next one. Uh, I also drove a truck for a couple of summers, uh, summer jobs. I drove about 500 miles a day, made about 20 deliveries. Mm. And uh, I enjoyed that. I took a camera with me and uh, made some, bought some antiques during that time. On the way back, I had an empty truck and I would buy antiques and bring them back. And uh, I actually utilized some of the uh, photographs for reference for, for okay. paintings. So, uh, What were you delivering? Uh, believe it or not, it was uh, Amway products. Okay. Soap products. The worst thing was the 55-gallon drum. I weighed about 550 pounds, mm. and I didn't have a lift, so uh. usually took a, a, an old tire with you, put it on the ground, and rolled the barrel off onto it huh. and hope that it didn't break. But... Uh, Getting back to the school when I started there, it was a junior, senior high school, so grades 7 through 12, and initially I taught all, all of the junior high classes mm-hmm. and about half of the high school classes, and uh, it was in a basement room, which was interesting because uh, you could look out, the sidewalk was ran right along the uh, that room, and... Uh, so you could see people walking by, and sometimes I think my students and myself felt like we were in a terrarium a little bit, because mm-hmm. people could, you know, if the blinds were up, they could look in and see what was going on, eight feet down. And uh, I tried to keep the windows open, 
uh, I, I taught initially in uh, an inner city school back in the 1960s. That was quite a different uh, environment, so it's a challenge to any teacher to, uh, you know, bring sunshine, as it were, into the room, mm -hmm. whatever you can do to uh, make it a better environment. But uh, no, that was fine. I had no, no problem with that. Um, that was important. Those first couple of years were important for a number of reasons. Uh, one was uh, I was able to start painting a series of uh, backdrops for the school plays. I think the first thing we did was The Hobbit. And uh, I had, fortunately, I had two or three students that were seniors or juniors. They, they were able to help me after school. So yeah, I ended up doing about 15 of those paintings over a period of 20 or 25 years. So the back wall was like 40 feet by 18 or 20 feet high. Um, as far as teaching, all of us are teachers in some way or another, and all of us are students in some way or another all the time. Mm -hmm. it's, it's interchangeable. And uh, when you're teaching like that in a formal situation, every day, the first thing I would do, I would come in and I would scan everybody's face. Mm -hmm. for a minute or so, just to see how people were doing. And you could immediately tell if somebody was very upset and maybe talk with them later in the period after work started. Right. So, because we had one psychologist, I think, for the whole district, wow. which was three schools, so about 2,000 students. So that's not nearly enough. No. You know, <laughs> no. There was four guidance counselors in the high school. So the psychiatrist had to go from school to school, wherever, you know, somebody yelled for help, right. she was sent over there. So, but um, the school district where, where I was teaching here, uh, it was very supportive of all, all of the school activities, I would say, compared to the other two schools that I was teaching in. Um, you know, they supported the arts, they supported the theater, um, they obviously supported athletics, the marching band, we had usually four or five exchange students that came from usually Europe or Asia or South America, and they were there for the whole year. And I think I had seven or eight or nine of those students in my classes over time. And they had to live somewhere when they were at the school. So obviously some of the parents opened up their homes for them to, mm. to live with them. And so that was, that was really... Uh, very interesting. Um, wh whether you're dealing with a, uh, a public school or a parochial school or maybe a prep school, uh, maybe Montessori uh, school, you, you need to have a sense of uh, community. So any school is uh, dependent on a sense of community because within community is the word unity. And as a physics teacher or an art teacher or a music teacher, whatever you're attempting to impart to the students, you have to be aware of the, the larger picture of what's going on in the whole school. And in general, I think everybody uh, helped each other out, you mm -hmm. know, and that that's really what, what needs to happen. Um, and ultimately, I guess, independent thinking on the part of the students, that's mm -hmm. one thing that was uh, a focal point to develop by the whole school and self-motivation 
because we've all had the experience of going somewhere, maybe a yoga class and mm-hmm. being inspired by a yoga class. And then well, you have a mat at your house and you have blocks, but do you do that when you get back to your house also until right. the next class? So self-motivation is really important. Um, and at some point, the, the guidance department figured this out or learned it from reading New York Times or Time Magazine or Psychology Today, whatever. I think around the mid-80s, they got the information that uh, any student who had taken a music class or an art class, a theater class, a dance class, all of those students seemed to do better in the, stand- the SAT uh, test, the standardized tests. They seemed to do better on average than students who had not taken any of those classes mm-hmm. during their high school career. So then they were like, oh, art's important, you right. know, literature is important, uh, theater is important to memorize lines. Uh, so that was that was interesting because we, you know, we had 20 minutes to eat lunch, I think. So that was a good time to really get a chance to talk with other teachers, whoever was scheduled during that time. Yeah. And uh, so I tried to I tried to uh, work with the guidance counselors as much as I could. I think they were they were uh, probably stressed most of the time because they had about. They had about 200 to 250 students hmm. that they would counsel over the course of the year. So hmm. sort of like a doctor's appointment that you might yeah. go through twice a year, unless something comes up and you really need to talk with someone about whether financial aid for college or whether to go to college. Mm-hmm. So they were really important, but I tried to talk with them rather than someone else, uh, perhaps to get a, ask about a student, you know, that. Maybe there's something they didn't share with me, and I wanted to find out more about right. what they were thinking. Right. Uh, uh, one thing that I think was important, um, and students usually always look forward to this. I got ideas from them. Um, I ended up taking about four field trips every year at that school. So we took over 100 field trips, and it was mostly between... Uh, Wilmington, Delaware, and, you know, Fort Tryon Park, I think that's where the Cloisters is. Mm -hmm. So it's mostly in Manhattan, some places in northern New Jersey. Uh, We went to, uh, it's called the University of the Arts now in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Uh, It used to be called the Museum College of Art. Uh, There's the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts. We went there. We went to my alma mater, which was uh, Tyler School of Art, part of Temple. You know, and then up through... uh, the eastern part, northeastern part of Pennsylvania is um, the Moravian Tile Works and the Mercer Museum, mm-hmm. which was built about 100 years ago, and Fond Hill, Henry Mercer's home. We probably went there three or four times because by the time a whole class had gone through my, you know, through the four years with me, there was a whole new group of students and right. they had no idea. So I tried to do that every five or six years. And they were really uh, fascinated with that. Um, of course, there was a form that you had to fill out, the field trip form. Mm-hmm. And of course, on there in the middle somewhere, it said, what is the purpose of this trip? And, you know, what's the educational value of it? So right. you had to think a little bit about that. <laughs> and uh, I was only challenged a couple times on that, where an administrator said, why, you know, why are you going to this beautiful uh, place 10 miles from us? 
to uh, somebody's old estate and it had been turned into preserved land. Uh, and we were going there to, to paint and to take photographs. And uh, I remember one administrator was like, didn't get why that would be important or mm -hmm. educational because it wasn't in a building. Right. And it was dangerous because, let's face it, field trips to the administration's point of view are an increased liability mm -hmm. because students are out away from the school, out of their control, and that's very much a concern. You know, so that was part of it too. Mm -hmm. But uh, that that was really worthwhile, and I uh, a lot of them uh, took work back from them, either through photographs because I would take my photography class uh, students with me on those field trips, or toward the end when I was teaching video production, we take the video camera with us. So like at Grounds for Sculpture, they were still in uh, Trenton, New Jersey, Trenton, Hamilton, New Jersey, they were still doing casting then. So my students could go through the whole, see the whole process of making the original in wax, making the, pla the plaster mold, and then the investment where they would put it in the, in the floor and uh, pour the molten metal, whatever it was, bronze or aluminum, into that mold. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they were able to take videotapes of that and bring it back and share it with other students. Yeah. You know, things, every, everything evolved as it does in general, and uh, the school was no exception. Um, we started, a, we, our school received a, uh, a grant from the state of New Jersey for uh, new computers, so we received about 500 uh, computers in the late 1980s, I believe, and uh, so that started to change the whole uh, tenor of the, of the school, the whole feeling of it, because what happened was, I think it was unfortunate, but uh, and it happened in many other schools across the country probably, uh, there was a class called Home Economics, where it was mostly young women in the class, they're taught how to sew, how to design dresses, right. how to cook. Mm -hmm. That was eliminated because you have to make room. New new classes are coming in, mm -hmm. whether it's computer graphics or video production or whatever, or CAD systems for drafting. Right. So you have to make room. And the wood shop even closed, which I really got upset about because I right. worked with the teacher there a lot. Right. They had all kinds of equipment. So if I if I was in a bind where I was running out of materials at the end of the school year, I could take pieces of plywood or other wood, go down and use the table saw, cut up pieces of wood to use, you know, if I needed right. to do that. So, uh, so I was a part of that transition. I kind of resisted it, but that was what was happening. And they said, by the way, Mr. Wilson, we need a computer graphics teacher. How would you like to do that? And uh, I said yes, and right. and video production said okay, we'll do it. Um, there were issues with photography. I, the photography lab was in a separate room in the back of the art room, and uh, so I had to really we had six enlargers in there and chemistry for uh, black and white photography. So it was really a situation where I had to trust all the students mm -hmm. because I'm out in the room showing them, some of them, most of them, how to mount photographs or frame them or doing uh, work out of a book, answering questions. And the other five students are in there working on their own in the dark room. So I have to, you know, trust that everybody's got to do what they should do. And there were incidents, as 
probably happens probably more in uh, shop classes or art classes right. than it would happen in an English class, perhaps. Right. And uh, but everybody uh, everybody survived uh, all the field trips and all the uh, uh, events in the in the photo lab. I won't go into that, but there were some issues there. Um, 1991, a couple of my students came up to me and uh, asked uh, why we didn't have a uh, environmental uh, club or team at the school. Mm -hmm. And I just said, well, you know, nobody's thought of it. Nobody's asked to do that. Right. And uh, so they uh, wrote up a proposal, gave it to the administration. They approved it. it. was sent on to the Board of Education. They approved it. Right. So that was started in 1991. And I... Uh, looked up yesterday they're still going mm -hmm. since 1991 they're still active nice so you know we have three uh, we have three lunch periods and so it generates four or five hundred bottles or cans in a day mm -hmm. plus other materials right. a lot of the teachers subscribe to the New York Times so uh, myself and the physics teacher uh, sponsored that organized it uh, Physics teacher set up a can crusher in his room. Oh, okay. Probably worked it into one of his physics classes. Right. But uh, so there, and we did some uh, planting also. We did uh, some tree planting around that time in the beginning. Uh, different uh, garden centers would donate bushes or donate trees that were appropriate, like for a courtyard that was enclosed where you didn't want it to, mm -hmm. you know, go out too far. Um, the other thing that was really important was uh, the art shows that my students were involved with. Uh, there was usually three or four of those a year. So, and the last one, uh, the, the final one of the year was a, a county-wide art show. So uh, this involved all the arts. It was dance, theater, uh, creative writing, uh, obviously, you know, visual arts. And they had a chance, so it was involving about 20 different schools in the county. So um, the students really enjoyed that because they got, they were able to move around and go where they wanted to. There was a schedule of what was happening where. If mm -hmm. they wanted to see a dance performance over there, that was fine. And then they could go over and uh, hear somebody reciting some words from Hamlet or some other play. Right. Yeah, a little dramatic presentation. So that was, that was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pause uh, you just for a second, Don. Yeah, sure, because of this. I want to just scooch yep. my mic a little closer to you and change okay. the setting. Okay. Just if need be to combat the lawnmower or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You don't That's, have to change yeah. your manner of okay. speaking or anything. I'm just going to change some settings and mm -hmm. adjust for... Okay. <clears throat> just just in case it becomes an issue when I'm listening to this back. Yeah. Um, not much. That's the guy across the street, right? Mm, it's loud. Yeah, he, uh, sorry. It shouldn't be too oh. much of an issue, but I just want to make sure, take a precaution just in case. Okay, you can pick up from where you are. Yeah, uh, so I alluded to this before I mentioned it briefly, uh, about the Hobbit and the backdrop for that. Mm. Um, yeah, so they were the largest paintings I ever did. Mm. They were uh, you know, 
as I mentioned, about 40 feet long and 20 feet high. So, you know, it'd be for plays like Macbeth, uh, School for Scandal, uh, Once Upon a Mattress, and uh, Skin of Our Teeth. That was popular back in the 1940s, <laughs> and uh, but still relevant uh, for sure. And uh, I did have students help me most of the time. Uh, one regret I had was not taking better photographs or any photographs mm -hmm. of those because they would last, the backdrop paintings would last about three months and then it was known what the, the spring musical was going to be. Right. And it's time to get out the rollers and the white paint and gotcha. paint over the back uh, the back wall mm -hmm. for the next scene. So, uh, but that was that was uh, that was a good experience for me. And uh, later on, it was let's see, probably in the uh, late 1980s, there was a wall about 120 feet long in back of a shopping center near the school. And the owner of the shopping center contacted the principal said, do you have an art teacher or students that'd be interested in doing murals along this wall? And uh, he asked, the principal asked me, I asked my students, they said yes, enough of them did. So it was in sections and they all did a, a section of the back wall. There was maybe seven different sections. So it's usually two people came up with an idea. And of course, as always, the administration had to see what the idea was mm -hmm. before we could paint it. Right. So, it, you know, that's that's understandable. But um, that work lasted there. That was really, and it, that was done after school. It wasn't during class period. So, we did that after school, and uh, took about a month in the spring to to complete those. Um, they lasted about eight or nine years before somebody came by with a spray can can and uh, started making additions to the paintings, <laughs> you know, sometimes in a good way and usually not in a good way. Right. But so, uh, you know, and then that, of course, was uh, painted over. I do have photographs of that, uh, both the students working and the final images. So that was that was that was good. I think I mentioned in the beginning uh, of this section about the support from the community where the school was. And I won't mentioned names but there were many many families that were involved in the arts either music or visual arts and uh that was really important a number a number of those people came in so uh there was twin brothers named tim and greg hildebrand and uh Tim's son was in my class, and he started talking about his father's work and his uncle's work. They worked together as a team. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tim and his brother most remembered, I think, for the original Star Wars poster that had to go up uh, outside the movie theaters. Okay. With, it's Luke Skywalker with his lightsaber up over his head, and there's right. a large Darth Vader kind yeah, of looming yeah. behind him. So they did that in about a week. The original artist that was supposed to do that uh, bailed out for whatever reason and they contacted the Hildebrands to do it. So that was one of the things they did around that time. But uh, they also were known for, I believe it was three years of calendars, I think it was 77, 78, 79, based on the trilogy by J.R.R. Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Mm -hmm. So uh, I called Tim 
and he he said he would be willing to bring in some of his paint the original paintings they were about three feet by five feet on there were acrylic paintings uh, obviously because they dry really quickly and they can work over right. and uh, he he brought in about ten of the paintings and they were of different subjects most of them were relating to those calendars over on the other side of the table there mm -hmm. um, I think so what happened was he came in about 10 o'clock they had their the paintings were all over the tables he started and his wife I think her name was Rita she had a degree from a college in Texas in uh, textile design clothing design and she came in also and she had photographs of neighbors who had posed in her costumes for these paintings, for the trilogy paintings, including The Hobbit. And uh, so that was very interesting because what, what happened was I had to, you know, it wasn't a normal day. It was a good, unnormal day right. uh, because my classes would come and go and they would, you know, and Tim would start talking again and Rita would talk a little bit. Uh, but what was interesting was that students by the middle of the day found out what was going on in the art room. So they would ask their English teacher, hey, you know, Mr. Hildebrandt's down there talking about his paintings, can I go down there? So there was like an overflow in the <laughs> classroom, which was really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. There was like 40 or 50 people in the class, so nobody was painting. We were just listening right. and watching, you know, talking. So that was really good. Was, yeah. So that was one example, but there were other people that came in and, and, and talked also. Uh, so that was that was really a resource that was really important, and I tried to take you know full advantage of it or as much as I could. Uh, I know one of my students' father was uh, the director at the Great Swamp National Wildlife Refuge. It's in Basking Ridge, and he was also a pretty accomplished artist. And he came in at least once that I know of, probably maybe twice, to talk about what he did in terms of keeping that refuge in the state that it's in now. That that was a spot where the Port Authority in New Jersey and New York were going to build a giant jet port back in the 1950s. And mm -hmm. what happened was the residents around that swamp got together and bought up land and I won't go into all the details, but basically it was a cooperative effort where that land was preserved. Mm -hmm. So it was what was left from the last ice age, I guess, 10,000 years ago. It's basically a lot of bogs, so they have a lot of wood uh, walkways going through that, that mm -hmm. area. It's, it's quite extensive. And then there's a raptor truss where they, uh, not connected to it, but about a mile down the road, there's a raptor truss where uh, injured eagles and owls are rehabilitated. So, uh, and I was surprised, a lot of my students, this was not far from the school, a lot of them hadn't been there. So we actually took a field trip there once, just so they knew where it was. That was, that was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, the video production class that I taught was a little, um, shall I say, it wasn't difficult, but I had to really kind of have some rules set down because, you know, there was two sets of, there were two VHS cameras so every day a different pair would go out. So there's four people going out, mm -hmm. two people with each camera. And they would, you know, interview teachers. If a teacher was had a free period, they would do that if the teacher was willing. 
or uh, if there was something going on in the track, people running around the track, they might, right. you know. So they started out with basic things, but the good thing about that, we got into script writing a little bit, which is important, um, not in a lot of detail. I mean, you have to remember, I what I was teaching was all of the art classes, mm -hmm. all the photography classes, and I was also teaching some of the computer graphics classes and video classes. So I didn't have a lot of time to really put into any one class. Right. It was kind of spread out, kind of thin. But um, the good thing was that the that was a semester class. So at the end of that class, so two or three students would usually volunteer to do uh, videotaping of uh, school events. Mm -hmm. So whether it was a play or an athletic event, um, they would be there to, to help videotape it. And there were other people doing the same thing. But as you know, with editing, uh, they might have something that somebody else didn't catch from a different angle. Right. And so, you know, it was... Uh, the final edit was done by myself or a parent who was very much into uh, filmmaking, mm -hmm. and he would come in and use the, uh, we had two video editing decks, so they would come in occasionally to, uh, to use that. And then the photo students, sometimes they would get in touch with the uh, advisor for the yearbook, and if there were certain photographs that might be used in the yearbook, mm -hmm. they were able to make make the prints and or take the photographs, develop it, make the prints and give them to them. I had a I had a uh, a separate title besides teacher and that was uh, art technician. So mm -hmm. a lot of stuff what I was talking about, the videotaping, the photography, framing awards, um, painting backdrops for the play, mm -hmm. that all fell under art technician and I figured out for the time I put in over the years I probably was paid about less than two dollars an hour for my time <laughs> but there was nobody else to do it and I right. knew what I was doing and it was part of the uh, job description I guess you say it became that mm -hmm. so I occasionally hear from some of my former students there's maybe just four or five right now that I either email or phone them or I see them in person mm -hmm. uh, occasionally so I, I, I keep in touch with them and they they appreciate that I make the effort to do that and uh, some of them have gone on to do really well in uh, one's a, an archi architect uh, one makes these really unusual uh, functional pieces of furniture, either for offices or for homes. They're made out of metal, sometimes found objects, with wood, combined with wood. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's in Montana. He has about 35 employees. So he's very, he sells work all over the world. So it's interesting to know that. I was in Montana 15 years ago, but mm -hmm. so we have an excuse to go out there, right? <laughs> if you want to go out and visit, we can check in on them, see how they're doing. I used, uh, I tried to use literature a lot in the classes, uh, meaning like for a homework assignment, I would uh, have six or seven quotes from different people and have the students try to uh, illustrate an image from, from one of those quotations. And uh, that usually worked out, that usually worked out fairly well. Um, in terms of starting a class, like a new class where 
I, I don't really know most of the students. It's first day of school. Mm-hmm. What any teacher has to do, whether, you know, if you're homeschooling your children, it it's very important that you try to find at least one or two other families that are doing the same thing so you mm-hmm. can talk with them about what they're doing. And so my job, I felt, in the beginning, first day of class, was to try to get to know my students and more specifically their ability in visual arts as, as soon as I could, you know, without stressing them out or stressing me out. Mm-hmm. So I, I would usually just have them first day, first day actually, I take that back, first day you had to read the syllabus for your class. Every class had a syllabus, class outline, what was expected of them and so forth. So I usually took up the most of the first class, the last part of that class, I would tell them about myself, whatever might be pertinent to them. Mm-hmm. So they knew a little bit about me. They would find out in a couple of weeks, but right. you know, it was a good way to break the ice kind of. Um, so the second day, let's say, I would just give them a piece of paper and I would say, take your time, just draw a face. Could be profile, could be head on. And you can look across the room at somebody and draw them if they don't mind, or mm-hmm. make it up. or. Take a photograph and draw from the photograph. Fine. And sign it. Put the date on it. All right. September 8th or whatever it was. 1991. And I would collect them and look at them. And the next day I would ask them to draw a, uh, a landscape. It might be something from their memory. Some place that they really loved. Where they had gone. Somewhere in their life. And uh, so they did that. They took the whole period. The next day, I asked them to, to draw a, a room in perspective. I think the last day, I asked them to uh, try to draw a dream that they might remember, something that they dreamed about. So I had these four different uh, sources to look at, and we kind of talked about them in general. Um, I think the other thing I did really early on in the class was to get over the idea that, um, the idea of possessiveness, like this is my drawing and that's your drawing. And you know, they're two different things. What I did, I didn't do this always, but what I often did toward the beginning after those four drawings, um, I would need time to tape everything down. But I say I had 18 students, I would tape 18 nine by 12 drawing papers all around the counters, around the room. Mm -hmm. I would explain it to them the day before so they knew what was going to happen so I wouldn't have to waste time during that period. So they came in, they were into it, they were, okay, we'll do that. Mm -hmm. So they all lined up, uh, one in front of each piece of paper, and I just said, start drawing, you know, whatever you want to draw. And so I'm watching the clock or my wristwatch or whatever, and Two minutes goes by, I said, okay, you got to move to your right, everybody. So everybody mm-hmm. moves to the right, and you're looking at whatever, maybe a couple of lines, maybe a mandala or a figure or whatever. So the next, that next person would add to what the first person had done and so forth. So two minutes later, move to the right. So by three cycles, three moves, you have three different people's images. They might be superimposed, they might be isolated and different, you know. So at the end, we have 18 different images on one piece of paper. 
see you tomorrow, you know, and I would look and then we'd talk about them the next day and about the idea that we're really, uh, we're like, uh, we're like holograms in a way. We are worlds within ourselves, we're mm -hmm. complete entities, but we're only really just reflections of each other. We're holographic reflections of each other. And so the idea of the ego, somebody said this is the age of the ego. It's been going on for four or five centuries maybe now. Mm -hmm. And I think we're moving out of that, starting to move out of that because of the internet and right. the growing awareness around the world of what is going on and what needs to change. Mm -hmm. So I was talking to Mary earlier about um, Philadelphia Museum of Art and I was talking about writing. I encourage students to uh, to write also. There, there was a literary magazine in the school and uh, that came out once a year and so we we collaborated with them either uh, with the use of drawings that would be companions to the, the prose or the poetry and so sometimes student, my students would work with students in the English classes and mm -hmm. to coordinate that way. Um, Mary and I were in Philadelphia. Remember watching the, looking at the Vincent Van Gogh exhibit? And then at the end, because Van Gogh was interested in Japanese art at some point later in his life, there was a, a little uh, station at the, as you exited the exhibit, and it was the haiku station. And so you were asked to write a haiku poem, which is a Japanese, Japanese form of poetry composed of 17 syllables so there were people there for quite a while you know they would they would write something and then they would like crumple it up and throw it away and then they'd do another one they usually got it right and they would either leave it or they would take it and I just wanted to read what I wrote it's very simple so this is reflecting on Vincent van Gogh's works and it could be anybody so it goes on long ago walls old love beams are released transporting us there it was just kind of the feeling I got from general, mm -hmm. generally from his work. Um, perhaps I think you might have questions about some of the things I said, maybe uh, relating to teaching or yeah. There, there's I'm looking back at the last place I taught, which I'm talking about now, mm -hmm. is 26 years. So obviously, right. many things happened, right. and what might be pertinent or interesting mm -hmm. that maybe, well. Well, I'll write about it sometime. Okay. Let's put it, let's put it that way. Okay. Um, <laughs> because it would, it would be much too lengthy, I think, gotcha. in a situation like this. In terms of your teaching, um, just based on everything you just talked about and went through, um, the first question that comes to mind for me is, so, well, first off, you gave a lot of time to this very selflessly in my opinion, looking at it, yeah. multiple classes, dealing with students, the whole bit. So it probably left you very little free time, even at home. Good. You know, uh, teaching is the kind of a job that I describe as it's the kind of a job that follows you home. Yes, you know? absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Um, one question that I had, even at the beginning of this, is so you did all this teaching, art teaching, dealing with different students right. who are all their own people. Mm -hmm. who you do what you can do for them, and they also maybe inadvertently are doing things for you. Absolutely, yeah. All those years yeah. of teaching yeah. art, did it affect or change 
your own personal visual art at all. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's very true because um, as creative people, we can become uh, stagnant. We can be stuck in a, a cycle that doesn't move us uh, forward and help us evolve as artists and mm. people. And so I could see any individual student. I mean, when you're trying to teach somebody to play the cello or how to repair an engine in a car right. or teach martial arts, whatever it is, you have to necessarily try at least to uh, look at each person as an individual and work at their level wherever they are. Mm -hmm. Because I had a huge differential even within a given class, like an R2 class, which would be the first full year art class. Right. So I was able to see students progress over a year class tremendously, not because of my teaching necessarily, but just them evolving right. with their other classes. I was mm -hmm. just a component of it. Mm -hmm. um, and they absolutely, I think they really helped me to understand that I maybe could be moving a little bit more in within my own realm of creativity. Uh, one thing relating to your question is when I would do demonstrations, if I would take a whole class period to do a demonstration using acrylic paint, I had the option at the end of you know, they would ask questions while I was working. Obviously, that was part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and at the end, they were getting ready to leave and they would say, hey, they would say nothing or they would say, maybe you ought to save that one, you know, Mr. Wilson, mm -hmm. why don't you save that? Right. So I say, yeah, maybe you're right. And so sometimes I would not paint over it and, mm -hmm. and bring it back or leave it there and work on it there mm -hmm. so they could see you know, after school, so they could see how I completed it, you know, so. Um, but they were always obviously questioning me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I had a sense of humor despite myself. And I, uh, I say that because this, I, it was about two years before I left there, this student came in, a young woman, she was probably 21 or 22. And I didn't know her that well in my class. You know, she was maybe in my class for a year or two. Mm -hmm. And she came in, we started talking. And she told me that at some point when she was in the high school, that she seriously thought about killing herself. And mm -hmm. I, you know, it just kind of took me by surprise. And I, I just said, you're, you're okay now. And, and she volunteered the reason why she got into that state of mind where she would take her own life. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking, we're talking about, you know, techniques and approaches to drawing and painting and sculpture and so forth. And maybe that was worth it to be mm -hmm. there 26 years, if that's true. I mean, you don't yeah. know. We did have, as in any school, we had issues. Right. Not like it is now, but, mm -hmm. you know, there were accidents, there were things that happened. But I, I, I'm looking at a, this, a quote, I think it's from Kenneth Rexroth. It's probably, it's one of, yeah, it's one of the uh, quotes that I would give on a homework assignment. 
uh, goes against the destruction of the world. There is only one defense, the creative act. That's from him. That's what I, you know, I hope a lot of my uh, students realize that they had an impact. Uh, and they, they did it in their own way. But uh, a lot of people are reluctant at that age to, uh, to even frame their work and hang it up in an exhibit. It's like, oh, this is not good enough, you know. Right. I can't do that. And sometimes people did amazing work and they didn't even, they apparently didn't even realize it, why it was good and I, why, I don't know. And, uh, yeah, and we, you know, as far as art history, I was telling Mary about this, we, you know, when I started there, it was 60 millimeter films, you know, so you had to put the, uh, the film through the slide, mm -hmm. pro the film projector and hope it doesn't break. And, right. you know, we had two textbooks. One was on American art, one was on world art, which was useful when we, you know, when I wanted, when I thought it was appropriate to rely on those, we, we used it. And then of course, with technology, you know, we moved to, uh, to VHS and then, you know, to internet. You know, we went online, I think around 1991 or 92, mm. somewhere around there. So you, in your span of teaching, mm -hmm. you taught through what it sounds like is a good handful of technological advances. Yeah, yes, so, so that you know, you go became from, a part of it, yeah. Right, so like how, how did you find the best way to kind of integrate the new stuff into what you were doing? Was it a challenge? How did that go? Yeah, I think um, if I remember, now, this may be a false memory as Mary alludes to sometimes, but I don't think so. I think uh, in in regard to the video production class, I did ask my art students if they would be okay if some people from video on a free period, because I, I couldn't be teaching them simultaneously. Right. But when the people in the video production class had a free period, would it be okay for them to come down with a camera and videotape what was going on in the art room? Okay. So I did some of that, and I also mentioned um, some people were interested in writing, obviously interested in films and music. Uh, oh, that was another, I'm getting off on a tangent here, but music, I know your grandfather was very big on jazz, American yeah. jazz music. Yeah. So music was a huge, not an issue, but it was a, a bone of contention, I guess, in the art room sometimes with the okay. advanced classes where they were pretty much working on their own. So I would have a record player from the library mm -hmm. and records, and uh, there'd be a tape player too, and then later, of course, you know, uh, CD players. But um, sometimes, you know, somebody would put on classical music and there'd be a guy in there who was uh, into heavy metal. Right. And he'd go, <laughs> bang on the table you know I can't take this you know <laughs> do this and I go all right all right take it easy Richard it's all right you know <laughs> get some earplugs you know put some cotton in your ears or something you know don't worry about it but yeah so that was you know that, that was an issue sometimes not yeah. to interrupt but that yeah. is interesting to me because really if you were to sit down and break apart metal music in particular yeah it shares a lot of similarities with classical music if you were to really break yeah. it down. I wouldn't have thought about that because I'm, I'm not a right. musician. Not, so not that yeah. you know, this particular student would cared or would have even cared, 
But um, it is. It's funny the relationship between the two. But yeah. yeah, you can't. You know, it's hard to tell a, a grade school of that. Yeah. But uh, when you have raw footage from, let's say, a football game, mm -hmm. if a student's out on a Saturday, sacrificing their Saturday, out there with the camera on a tripod and trying to move it up and down the line wherever the action's happening in the football game, the raw footage is good. It's great. But ultimately, if somebody's going to watch it, they're not going to sit through two hours, maybe, unless they're really right. interested in the marching band and all that, which is right. great. That's a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, it involves editing. So then are they willing to come in after school right. and sit down at the editing deck and say, I want to give this to the coach and the players and maybe the music director, the, the band director. Mm -hmm. You've got to include all of this right. and make it into a work of art. You know, yeah. Something that is concise and meaningful to the coach, to the players, mm -hmm. to themselves, and also the music, the people that were out there playing the music right. in the rain or the snow or whatever, right. you yeah. know. So a few people got to that point, you know, and where they would put a title and they would put by so-and-so, filmed mm -hmm. and edited by so-and-so and so-and-so. Mm -hmm. Not many people did that, but some of them did. They got to that point mm -hmm. where, and they were serious about it. And uh, <laughs> I remember this great revelation, because I, obviously I was learning on the job with the uh, computer graphics, such mm -hmm. as they were at that time. And I remember this beautiful image came out. This young woman had a photograph she took of her friend who was sleeping. He was like nodding out in class, maybe fell asleep in class. Mm -hmm. She got a picture of him. So she put it on the computer and she wanted to print it a little bit larger, right? Like two times that size. So she's there hitting the keys. I wasn't watching her, but I came over pretty quickly because everybody crowded around her. She said she was hitting like eight, 10 different keys on the keyboard. Mm -hmm. And what happened all about two minutes later there was all this noise, like the printer was like, the printer was getting really wound up, you know, it was like this. So we all came over and it was not just her friend, but it was her friend in about 40 different segments. So what the printer did was print out his whole image, but it was about five, four or five feet long by about three and a half feet high. Right. So they were coming out one at a time, and she was just there watching like this. <laughs> and everybody, I came over, I said, I said, Vicki, what did you do? She goes, I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know that we ever found out what she exactly did, how, to, how that happened. So it, 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 your question about technology, obviously, for myself, and less, less for me, but more for the students, they just kind of scratched the surface of it mm -hmm. because I probably didn't even get halfway into what was possible right. with what we had and my time limitations. So, mm -hmm. so it was uh, it was fun. It was uh, learning on the job and experimenting. Right. That part of it, the technology part of it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it myself, and I was able to use it actually uh, also in in my own work. I, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, if I needed to print out cards for a uh, a show coming up, right. I could do it on the computer and warp the lettering and whatever I wanted to do and right. in, in color hmm. and print it out there if I wanted to do that. Uh, didn't do that very often. Uh, but all in all, yeah, it was uh, 
in a nutshell, it was about 30,000 classes, I guess, there at that school. Wow. So I'd say 90% were, were good. They were right. really good. And then maybe 5% I was off. Right. Or the students were off, right. or we were both off, and then mm -hmm. the other one or two percent, maybe there was a crisis, you know, right. somebody got injured, or there was a fight, or whatever. Right. But that was rare, you know. So, mm -hmm. so uh, yeah, all in all, it was a, uh, it was it was the most rewarding job that I've had in my life so far. Um, right. And uh, you have to have a sense of humor, and I've because I've been away for from it for so long, and I, I think I'm losing my sense of humor a little bit uh, because you had to have that yeah. every day. You know? What grades did you teach? It was well in, initially it was seven through twelve, but then uh, probably twenty two years it was just the high school. Okay. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I got to learn about reading scripts because, and my students did too, because while we're painting the backdrop for the play, mm -hmm. students are out there getting yelled at by the director, right. you know, mm -hmm. not yelled at, but you know, correcting them or encouraging them to do it this way rather right. than that way. It's like rehearsals and, were going on. Yes, exactly. Were so we're up on 15 foot ladders and <laughs> trying not to fall off and, uh, you know, so that was, that was interesting also. And of course, I got to know the play pretty well after a while, whatever play it right. was. Yeah, no kidding. Hearing about 10 rehearsals or 12 rehearsals, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, it happens inadvertently, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah well, I, did, it's a... I did sound design at ESU for a little, very little while. Okay. Um, right. And you're up there and I have, you know, the whole, all the mechanisms in front of you, the board and, and mm -hmm. all the cues and everything. So I did, you know, without even trying, end up being able to recite Electra, you know, almost back and forth. Oh, okay, yeah. From that whole thing. Uh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, the first couple of years I left there, I uh, uh, I went back to visit, you know, some of the teachers, mm -hmm. see how they were doing. Um, I did continue teaching within about a year of leaving that high school. I taught at um, a an art center uh, close to that school and I, I taught classes for probably two or three years maybe four years there mm -hmm. um, you know maybe two classes a week or three classes a week something like that so it, it wasn't overbearing and uh, and at that point obviously I had time to look at my own work and where I was and what I wanted, to, what direction I wanted to go with my own work, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'm still involved with three uh, art associations. Uh, one I mentioned where I uh, taught Center for Contemporary Art, that's in Central New Jersey, and also Artsbridge, which is in Lambertville, and Stockton, New Jersey. Mary's involved with that also, and. Uh, the one that I'm mainly involved with now is the uh, is ACE, A-C-E, it's the Arts Community of Easton, and uh, they're very active in, in the area, in, in Easton and the surrounding area. Um, as far as galleries, I've exhibited at the, uh, the Williams and Grossman Galleries, that's part of Lafayette College, mm -hmm. and one of them's on 3rd Street, the other one's up on the hill. Um, the International Fusion Gallery, um, Mary and I have both been 
uh, involved. Yes, you were. You were, helped create a lampshade that's still there. I have a very small piece in that. That's all right. You had a part in it. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, they were both teachers, the people that started that. And I think I mentioned them before, mm -hmm. uh, Shalom and Karen. Um, yeah. <clears throat> um, the Siegel Museum uh, is more of a historical museum. We've I've exhibited, exhibited there with Ace. Um, the State Theater in Easton has an annex, mm -hmm. and uh, I've exhibited again with Ace there. Uh, Nurture Nature is a science and art center, and uh, Mary and I have both been active with that for two or three years. And uh, what's coming up there now is uh, it's called Perspective on the Environment, and that's this will be the sixth year they've been uh, promoting that, and that's as the name implies, it's dealing with issues uh, such as uh, extreme weather, uh, wastewater management, mm -hmm. uh, repairing stream damage where there's uh, erosion in streams, uh, water testing. Uh, yeah, Pennsylvania has 86,000 miles of streams and rivers, oh. and 40% uh, of them are compromised a little bit. So. Mm -hmm. uh, that's part of Penn State uh, Extension Master Watershed Steward Program. That's part of what we're involved in. We involved what? We took classes for about six months, I think. Eight months. And then... Well, actually, I think it was over four months. From it was February four months? February to May. Okay. February, March, April, May. Okay. And then it's, it's follow-up to that and getting involved in volunteer right. services. Yeah. So it, it, initially, it entailed about fifty hours of volunteer work, and the I first think year. yeah, the first year, right. and now it's twenty. I think that we need to. You're way beyond that uh, compared to where I am with that. So, uh, and I am going to be involved in a long project through Nurture Nature. It's a uh, fairly large mural. It's going to be done in probably in three sections because it has to be portable. It'll be right. five feet by 12 feet. So that's that's going to take the next year and a half. Obviously, I'll be doing other work that I that is in progress right now that I'm doing, but that's a long-term project for them. Um, and that they'll, they'll move that where they feel it's most needed. And that's mm -hmm. basically Again, uh, relating to resilience, how we can deal in whatever community you're living, how you can improve quality of life, um, any environmental issues or problems that are in your community. So it's about the resolution of that, maybe social uh, issues also, mm -hmm. because there's obviously, if you look at the country, there's the whole big issue of environmental justice, where uh, Radioactive waste, uh, major oil production and gasoline production facilities are. They're usually placed in the poorest neighborhoods or near the, the poorest neighborhoods, and those people suffer um, a lot of health issues because of that. Mm -hmm. So, and so everybody's in a different situation, but there's uh, the general sense that I get is that. We need to ameliorate that all, all over the country. Yeah. That That's uh, basically very unfair to sacrifice certain communities because they're poor, 
to be subjected to all these industries that are not always controlled as they should be. Mm. So in terms of clean air, clean water, the soil that mm -hmm. we grow food in. So. Yeah, they should build them all next to the mansions and the people. There you go, the McMansions, yeah. No, they wouldn't go for that. That's Probably not. Right, Mayor? They wouldn't like um, that. True. Oh. So one thing that we um, we missed being able to get to uh, last time we sat down and spoke um, was, and correct me if I'm wrong, you took a class from or with uh, the artist Alex Gray? Yes, that's right. Uh, let me just preface Absolutely, something yeah. before I talk about it. Uh, yeah, sure. yeah, I, I took a, uh, it was a week-long intensive with, uh, Alex and his wife, Allison, at Omega Institute, and it was in the mid-1990s sometime, and then maybe 15 years after that, Mary and I both no, went to just a... Just a few years after that. Was it a few years yeah, after that? five years maybe after Okay, that. 98, thanks. Uh, we that was 99. In, okay, that was in New York City, so we both went to that. Mm -hmm. That was a weekend, and it was very similar to what I did in the mid-90s at Omega. Uh, you can look up, anyone can look up Alex Gray's work. I'm surprised that a lot of people who are artists that I know don't know about him. Um, he's, you know, he's on Joe Rogan. I guess he's yeah. on TED Talks. He's, mm -hmm. he has, you know, he's on YouTube. Posts post a lot on Instagram too. He's pretty active on Instagram. All right, really? Says, with the whole, what is it, the Entheon? Is that his big project? Yes. Yes, yeah, 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 the temple. In New York. That's right. He posts a lot of stuff like that, yeah. I come to find, like, when I bring him up to people, even other artists, they don't, like, they don't know the name, so I whip the phone out, like, and, like, oh, okay. you know, and as soon yeah, as yeah. they see his work, really? they're like, oh, I've seen that work before, mm -hmm. and they just didn't put the place the name with it. Sure. Yes, so, you know, what happened was, I, I can't remember how I found out about it, but I probably had the Omega catalog, and mm -hmm. I think that's probably what happened, maybe through you, Mary, possibly, because I don't know that I you know, subscribe to it. I was introduced to him, I was taking shiatsu classes mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. I was living in New Jersey, but I was going to the International School of Shiatsu, mm -hmm. and... Um, that's how I learned about him. Um, he was um, introduced to me, his work as a visionary artist. Right. And I was totally enthralled with his work because it was so amazing. So, and I think I probably shared something, I don't know that I had his book, but I think I had something that I shared with you and somehow, you know, you started looking into his work and it came up right. that he was at Omega. Right. Um. What you can see now, and I, I saw it in him and his wife then, but what you can see now is um, he has a great sense of humor, mm -hmm. and uh, he did a lot of installations by himself and with his wife. Um, this was much more sedate. It was very personal the, um, at Omega. Um, we were told to bring uh, supply, whatever we wanted in the way of art supplies. It was not going to be involving sculpture, so drawing materials, painting, watercolors, acrylics, whatever. And uh, I hadn't met him at that point. So we were in a fairly large room. It was near a lake at Omega, small lake. 
and um, he uh, he introduced himself and what he had done to that point. And I, I'm looking back now. He uh, the Sacred Mirrors project, which he did in the 1980s. I think he had probably uh, just completed that, or they were framing it. Maybe it was around that time, but uh, we there was maybe ten students there, including mm -hmm. myself, ten or eleven, and it was very informal. Uh, I think he, we had to, you know, introduce ourselves and what why we were there, basically, right. for the benefit of each other and primarily for him also. Um, so some of them were teachers like myself. Uh, some were just visual artists that were curious and they wanted to you know, maybe have an instant evolution in, in five days, something right. like that, <laughs> or hoping for it. Mm -hmm. And uh, But he, yeah, he was very down to earth and uh, explained the idea of uh, about visualization and the importance of dreams and remembering dreams. Um, so I can't remember every single thing that we did every day, but uh, he varied it every day. There was something quite different, but mm -hmm. he tried to tie everything together. Um, yeah, the first day we we did uh, visualizations. He he would read uh, from scripts, um, maybe relating to Buddhism or some other philosophy or tradition. Um, you might read from a secular book or somebody's book of poetry. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we kind of started there and drew from images that, you know, came into our heads and um, how you clear your mind out and make a space in there right. without the chatter to let things come in. I New ideas come in or perceptions come in. Um, I probably talked about that quite a bit. Um, the second day, we had, I believe, we had a model, just a woman who posed for short poses in the beginning, 15, half hour, hour long poses, and then we did maybe a much longer pose where we could do a painting from, from one of those mm -hmm. uh, preliminary sketches. Um, I know we went out one day near the lake and we just, he talked about how well he believed and he's not the only one a lot of people believe this that everything has energy rocks trees inanimate objects obviously us and animals and insects we we all have exude an energy some at a higher uh, resolution than others so he probably talked about that a little bit so don't just see this as a boulder or a dead log with a turtle on it going out into the stream what was this tree before it fell into the lake? You know, was it was it a willow tree? What might have lived in there? Mm -hmm. That 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 kind of a thing. And uh, I have, I can't put my hands on them right now. I have, I can remember all of them. I have five or six. I did mostly watercolors and ink drawings, and I have them all, and they're complete as they are, like ten by fourteen paintings on watercolor paper and I always intended to enlarge them uh, in a larger format and I haven't yet to this point but mm -hmm. that's still an option. Mm -hmm. um, he's very much uh, um, 
you know, selfless, I would say. Um, you know, there's a lot of allusions in different religious texts, including the Bible, about neighbors and who your neighbors are. Mm -hmm. And the neighbor is the stranger, you know, the person maybe you don't know, but you've got to get to know them. Right. And once you know them a little bit, they're not strangers anymore. Mm -hmm. They're just another person mm -hmm. who's like you. And he, I kind of, uh, what I said earlier about, you know, we're holographic reflections of each other. We're our own entities, but we're also uh, connected, interconnected with everything else. An example of that, I mentioned the workshop that Mary and I went to in New York. We, I don't know whether we took a... It was we, um, through the Open Center. The Open Center, thank you. I don't know whether we drove or took a, a bus, I'm not sure, but... We, we probably took a bus. Yeah, well, the bottom line was, so we were late, right? Mm -hmm. So he was already 10 minutes into this. He was in this big room. Oh, more was, than that. Maybe more. Mm -hmm. So there's like 100 people in this room, and uh, we're late. So we're kind of, you know, tippy-toeing in, you know, trying to, like, maybe he won't notice us mm -hmm. and, you know, give us a weird look. So he saw us coming. He looked. He happened to look over. We were walking almost to the door. He saw us coming, and he had an assistant there. He was showing slides and talking. He actually came out into the hallway and stopped us. Mm. And what he had done with the whole group was a meditation in the beginning for like five minutes. He came out in the hallway with us, and he sat us down and did a meditation with just the two of us out in the hallway. Wow. And then we got up and went back in. So somebody took over for him while he was out there with us. And I thought that was, wow. <laughs> you know, like if you're in a college and you walk into a college classroom late, the teacher's going to like, you know, <laughs> give, give you some kind of nasty look. Or I'll talk to you later, you know, that kind of thing. He was totally not like that, you know. He really cared about us being up to speed with where everybody was. Yeah, where everybody was, exactly. He wanted to go through the same meditation. Yeah. You know, because that was how... He introduced, you know, each new segment of what we were doing. It was like through this visualization mm. exercise. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, if any, I don't know that he's doing workshops like that anymore. I don't know, but if somebody has an opportunity to do that, I would recommend it. Yeah. Might cost you a little bit of money, perhaps, but it it was worth it. Whatever I paid, I know that. Right. And, and just being there at Omega was it's like a little vacation, mm -hmm. you know, especially if you're living in a city or a place where it's pretty congested or there's just a lot going on in your life. It's a place to decompress and you know right. and learn from other people. I think he had a way of like encouraging one to open up the inner visions of your soul and your art. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know, it just yeah. sort of opened up a channel without the need to take a hallucinogen or something. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think that was how, because I, as I recall, like, because there was a lot of sharing in that weekend workshop, but um, people did some really amazing things on a small scale that mm -hmm. surprised them even. Yeah. Like, I just remember yeah. people, because he would have us maybe share and talk a little bit about our work and, um, and I was even surprised for myself because I wasn't um, as active at that point in doing art as Don has been. But I surprised myself a little bit in terms of what I was able to 
um, come up with, you know, because yeah. it was all from the inner soul and the imagination. Mm -hmm. You know, and when you, I don't know, there's something about that environment when somebody builds up that feeling that you all tap into <laughs> in a different way. You know, each person sort of experiences their own vision. Right. But it came out in yeah. different ways. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. That's really interesting. Speaking of tapping, that's what he said, I think from the internet, he mentioned the, that art is the taproot of mm. humanity going back. Not to, he mentioned the cave art you know, going forward, but the oldest art that we know about is like 600,000 years old, mm. the oldest sculpture that was done by a person, some kind of human. Right. And uh, so he said, yeah, we're, uh, this is part of our evolution. Uh, art is um, the engine, it's, part, it, it's what's moving us forward mm -hmm. as a species and ev helping us to evolve. We're evolving as individuals and also it becomes part of the collective consciousness that's hopefully also evolving and moving in the mm -hmm. right direction. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, I had a question written down here, and you just answered it just oh. organically. Oh, okay. so that's perfect. Okay, good. that's <laughs> good. I, I, you know, I do feel that art is like a shark, whereas if if it doesn't keep progressing, whether it's personal in yourself, progressing your own work, um, or just collectively, that without it will probably sink yeah in some yeah. either literally or metaphorically sink you know that's a hard way of looking at it but it's probably true yeah yeah it's, yeah. yeah yeah because it, yeah it's either evolution or de-evolution yeah. Yeah. yeah hopefully it's evolution in the right direction so. yeah and I, yeah. like we all experience things through our own perception so we all have our own version of looking at stuff and just look coming from my point of view of art and what it's done for me personally like and then tr trying to take that and looking at the grand scheme of things which is difficult to drink it all in mm -hmm. but um, from my own experiences like it, it is for me it's been sink or swim and not even in terms of making it or being recognized just personally, you know. Okay. It's been such a part of, for me, and when I apply that viewpoint to the rest of the world and looking at visual artists or just artistic and creative things, you know, whether it's a painting or my father, you know, building a screen room, you know, it's, it all is something, it's, it's this productivity that benefits us yeah. in some sort of a way mm -hmm. mentally mm -hmm. yeah one theory is well, I mean, behind you know like anthropology and just art sort of throughout history and like primitive man wherever he comes from or however long ago like, you know it takes place or begins like art could be thought of as almost like a tool to um, extrapolate like sort of subconscious whether it's like um uh, thought forms are just things like loose in our minds that it could be like sort of dead. It's like it could be thought of as like a form of therapy as a way to like take these sort of inner demons and like bring them out and like 
projecting that out into the physical world is sort of like an act to remove it from yourself. You know, it's like mm-hmm. almost a way of like creatively, like either purging or like healing yourself somehow. Or somehow, you know, it's like out of your head, and you don't have to like worry about worry about it anymore. Mm-hmm. That sort of makes sense. Mm, it does. Thank you for saying that because that's that's really critical. I mean, that's yeah. a critical component of mm. creating anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and especially with uh, in a school situation where you know that's going to come up, where somebody's doing something that another person thinks is really grotesque right. and violent in their drawing. Yeah, but you know that's always I, mean, I try. I always try to be uh, go between uh, something like that came up and have a little uh, small discussion between those two people mm-hmm. who want you know objected to what the other was doing. Sort of have a little conference with both of them and say you know what what specifically don't you like? And they would say well you know this you know this. Uh, is very gr- grotesque where this person has been uh, murdered right. or mutilated. And I would ask the person that was objecting, I'd say, well, does this happen in life? Mm-hmm. And they was like, yeah, I guess so. You know, so this person's just, as Isaac said, getting an out, yeah. getting an out, exercising yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So, I had a student um, in my, I did, I went to art, art school 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, and there was a student in my class who we were all doing paper mache masks, mm. and um, he did, you know, it was generally, you know, everybody did their own mask, and it was fun and creative and the whole bit, and he had done his mask, so he made the face, um, a face that was looked in, in excruciating type pain with a large paper mache sword going through it and um and so naturally there were other students who sort of piled on him mm-hmm. in a in a kind of ribbing making fun kind yeah. of way this kid yeah. was a loner oh. um does yeah. this mask and um ended up like long very long story short ended up just disappearing from our art class completely not too long after that so you know whether or not you know i'm sure it had something to do with it whether or not that was the correct way to handle it or not yeah i don't know but i had never even seen him again um i recall his name i won't mention it on recording but um yeah he yeah it was you know it was i remember that specific day distinctly because he made, whether it was his own thought or not, he made sure to add in that blade on the last day. <laughs> so it really didn't, the, the mask itself yeah. didn't really hit home yeah, for right, everybody right, right. until that last day we were mm. work on it. Because we would do like week-long projects. Yeah. Every week we'd say, oh, okay, okay, what we're right, going to do. Right, right. So we'd work on a mask for like 45 minutes a day mm-hmm. each period. Mm-hmm. Sounds like that person may have benefited by some art therapy. Yeah, yeah. 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 Because he was obviously working out something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the, that always stands out mm. to me, that yeah. particular in- instance. Yeah, art, art therapists are very important, especially in a prison setting. 
mm-hmm. where people are basically isolated from everyday life for two yeah. years or ten years or six months even. And uh, it's important for them to visualize the day they get out and what's going through themselves emotionally mm-hmm. and any uh, pain or regret or uh, hope that they might have. Right. Knowing that somebody they love is outside the prison and they're going to get out. Right. Um, it's very important to express that, not just to other inmates, but uh, working actively with somebody who might come in and visit the prison with art materials. And uh, that doesn't happen enough, but it does happen, mm-hmm. thankfully. Sorry, and, uh, sorry to think like that makes sort of functioning people, like expecting people to be functional in kind of everyday life after you know, years of that, like without sort of some kind of therapeutic art thing, like, you know, some creative sort of stimulation. Otherwise, it's just, yeah, it's weird to me. Yeah. I mean, I, ideally, right? I mean, in your, different countries have different systems mm-hmm. uh, in dealing with prisoners, you know, right. people that are incarcerated. And ours, I think, is lagging behind many countries in Europe. What they should be doing, not just what Isaac and I and you were, and Mary were talking about, uh, the therapeutic value of it. There's also training, you know, job training within right. the prison which maybe they can't afford outside or didn't have the time. And that's, I think, one of the primary goals in a lot of countries uh, is to provide training so that when these people get out, they're not repeat offenders. They don't go back to uh, using drugs that are detrimental to their health or to uh, stealing Mm -hmm. or burglary or whatever. Um, they have some option. They can have the possibility of of, of obtaining employment, uh, right. whatever it might be, that they weren't able to do before, weren't uh, eligible or qualified to do. Right. So that's that's a whole big issue there. I wanted to read a, a quote that I think my mother sent this to me back 30 or 40 years ago. I think I was living in Massachusetts. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know where she got this from. It's very uh, <clears throat> basic and sentimental, but it's. I always liked it, kept it like tacked up on the wall. Mm-hmm. It says it's in Native American verse, so uh, we presume it is. Uh, it goes, walk tall as the trees, live strong as the mountains, be gentle as the spring wind, and always keep the summer sun in your heart. And the Great Spirit will be with you forever. Thank you so much for listening to yet another episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. You can find this episode and a whole bunch more on all major podcast platforms, as well as YouTube with video accompaniment. You could find my work on Instagram at Albert Shivers or on Facebook at Albert Shivers Visual Artist. You could find Isaac Wilson's work on Instagram at when underscore in underscore zen. And um, you could find Don Wilson's artwork online under Don Wilson Visual Art. And I will put that link in the com or in you know below the video 
for you to check it out. And yes, next week, I'm going to keep it a surprise. And uh, hopefully you'll listen then. Be safe. Be healthy. And, you know, just keep your wits. Keep your wits and make the most of it. I realize why we're off recording, I guess. No. No. Well, I'm still recording right now. Oh, you okay. want to add something? No. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> It'd be a comment about coffee. Okay. Yeah, that's...